Canada Cup 2018 goes down in flames, so why don't people seem to be lighting torches and grabbing pitchforks? Soul Calibur's lizard penises are getting censored, Catalyst shares a story from the time he and SRK actually teamed up, and it's finally time to talk about Infiltration's legal allegations. All this and plenty more on this week's edition of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. Okay, guys. Well, it's been a jam-packed week in terms of news, and uh, we have plenty of different topics to talk about. Not going to really focus on one main thing all throughout today. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I say that now, <laughs> but um, we'll dive right in here. And we had something interesting uh, in the middle of the week, two days ago, one day ago. I'm not sure, but. <laughs> This random game came up from 1992, I think it was, the same year Mortal Kombat came out. And the reason I compare it is because it's also a very gory game. Uh, It popped up in the inbox or something, and and we were just tossing around, like, probably not going to entertain it much. Uh, But as soon as someone said the name Time Killers, John here, like, lost his mind and was like, that's the worst game of all time. Oh, my gosh, I have so (laughs) much history with that. Apparently, it involves... Uh, characters if, with with chainsaws and stuff, and and uh, I, I mean I'm not going to do it justice, but given the reaction that we got from John, I thought that uh, he should at least bring it up to you guys, so you could at least go watch a, a video about it and appreciate all the brilliant chaos insanity that is or that was Time Killers. Yeah, you you have to transport yourself back to 1992 and be like, yeah, you know, you're playing Street Fighter Two, you're playing a bunch of other, you know, great arcade games at that time. It was a really, you know, golden era for for arcade games back then. It was wonderful, and you see this game where you're you're able to cut off someone, you know, arms and legs, or arms and head, and sometimes the legs, I guess, to finish them off with a full on fatality, and do it mid match. And, you know, Street Fighter has a little bit of violence in it, but not much. And, and so you're seeing this and you're like, wow, you know, and I mean, it's just kind of out of nowhere. And it's got this weird, you know, five button control scheme. And so you're like, OK, well, I've, I've got to give this a shot. And then you, you you drop 50 cents in or a quarter in and, and you're like, OK, yeah, yeah. You know, and you're all hyped up and you start playing it. Oh, my God. God, what is this? Like, this doesn't even play right. I mean, it's there's not a lot to it. You have a few attacks, you have a few things, and it's just from the moment you you drop your money in, it feels broken and bad. I I don't even want to guess what the game's like input like was like back then. And we're talking about like CRT monitors and all that kind of stuff. This is you know like we didn't even know input lag was a thing, and it felt like sluggish and just terrible. But it's so cool in that you could cut off people's heads, so you kept playing it and you kept trying to find that that special part of it you're like i want to enjoy this i want to get into it it's you know i want to piss my parents off by playing this you know <laughs> you, <laughs> you could, so you could cut someone's arm off mid-round and they wouldn't die but they just couldn't use that arm anymore right yeah yeah the button would stop working which you sometimes didn't know if your arm was cut off or not because the buttons were that unresponsive <laughs> <laughs> and, and you said there's that, yeah. five buttons one of five which buttons, you use yeah. for your head Yes, there was a head attack. There was actually like a character that was like a lizard or something who could bite you with it. But most of the other character would mostly do like a taunt or some other stuff with it. And they would try to headbutt you in different things. Uh, but I mean, you risk getting your head cut off if the other person did the right attack. Getting your head cut off, I think for every character in the game was an instant death. You just died right there. And so I literally had someone come up to me one time when I was playing at our old ar- arcade back then. And I did the special attack right as they hit the head button. And I instantly killed them. And they were gone. And it was like literally like not even a second had passed and I they were dead. Wow. And that was as honestly, that was one of the coolest moments I've had playing fighting games. It was 
<laughs> it was ridiculous, but it was, yeah, so. Right on. Well, speaking of lizards and fighting games, uh, we, talked about, uh, <laughs> we talked about something along those lines last week, and there has been further development, and I know you wanted to talk about that a little bit, too. Yeah, so Soul Calibur is now banning users who have quote-unquote offensive material uh, or inappropriate custom characters, basically, and they might have their online features taken away. And we don't exactly know what's inappropriate. What they're saying is not, you know, I, I'm assuming, you know, lizard penises are completely off limits now. Thank goodness. Uh, but that doesn't really address like the whole characters with like altered hurt and hitboxes and how that really messes with ranked play. I'm glad that they're doing this. It's a step in the right direction, but it, it's a small step that's definitely not enough. And I'm just kind of hoping that they address it more going forward. Uh, Bamco's usually good with this stuff, but again, it's kind of been a disappointing launch here in some respects for Soul Calibur VI, where they, they've they've really kind of dropped the ball with a number of things. And it's like you see the the giant cube fighting. I was going to say, uh, did we bring up the cube last or is that before or that's since yeah. last podcast? Yeah, I'm not sure, but but for those who, who haven't seen it on our website, basically there's a character fighting in a giant, you know, like Rubik's type cube, rainbow cube type thing, and you cannot see any of their attacks at all. And they're just moving around the screen, and the cube can be knocked off of them and hit off of them, but it's like literally you have nothing to react it to. It clips through the the ground, and with when the characters are close to each other, it takes up half of the entire screen. When they move far away and the camera pans out, you can see more of it. But you're right, it, it is It is still technically one of the characters. I didn't catch which one it is, if it's even one of the main cast. So it has arms and legs that you could te- you know, technically whiff punish and will have hurt boxes, but those are completely out of view. Uh, if you had problems with Ibuki's bombs not, you know, showing, you know, what, what's going on in Street Fighter V, that's this constantly. It's just this giant cube that runs at you or just, f- like, floats at you or clips through the ground at you and then starts hitting you. And, and, and it covers up the, the character that it's fighting against as well. And as if that weren't bad enough, it also shoots fireballs. And it's, it's oh, hilarious geez. to watch. Uh, if you haven't seen the clip, you should go check it out because it's worth a chuckle. But like you started this whole thing with, it is a very bad look for Bandai considering, considering the way competitive fighting games are, that Soul Calibur has been competitive for a long time, that that's an even bigger thing than it was before, arguably, now with all the esports influence and whatnot. You don't want to come out with half of your game's audience turned off because it's not balanced in this in this ridiculous way where you where i don't think there's anyone that's going okay well that's okay because xyz it's it's, it's yeah. not okay <laughs> for for competitive play and literally all they needed to do for a statement was take a photo of the cube and put it up there and say hey guys we've seen this it's not all right we're going to deal with it and they didn't even do that like they're just like oh yeah like inappropriate character models are not all right look we get it no one wants to see those giant lizard dicks for the most part you know they they want to move those to the background seriously this is altering the competitive balance of your game by a dramatic impact like what are you doing like how do you not address that too and like literally just take a photo of the cube Put it up there, say, we've seen this, it'll get dealt with, thank you for playing our game. <laughs> like, that's it. But I don't I don't get why these companies, why a lot of these fighting game companies in 2018 have such a difficult time with that. Oh, okay, here's a giant problem. Like, hey, I, I've just cut off my arm. And, oh, it's just a scratch. You know, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what it is. Do, do you have the same PR people at every single fighting game company who just don't know how to address 101 basic, oh, yeah, 
that's not good. We've seen it. We're looking at it. It takes care of so many problems in the community, just acknowledging it on a base level. But uh, it's, Well, if we're yeah. going to talk about lizard dicks, I also wanted to just briefly bring up uh, raccoon balls uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, this is what we've become. I, I think it was <laughs> – we're now – Event Hubs now has more nude images than our Kappa. Uh, <laughs> this isn't this isn't really an issue, but it is kind of funny, and I couldn't help but bringing it up considering the subject matter that we're talking about right now. But there's also uh, the Tanuki, which is a famous. Um, it, I guess it's a real critter, right? And and you find it yeah, in Japan, it's, similar it's a to a raccoon thing. And it, actually, in Mario Three, you could get a Tanuki suit. It's a um, I that's think the one you're flying around in, right? With the leaf. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's that, and I think like also you can turn into like a statue with one of the Tanuki suits or something yes, like that. Like, yes. So there's a raccoon one, and then there's like the Tanuki one. I think like it's been a while since I played Mario Three on the NES, but but yeah. Well, the important part of the Tanuki is that it, it's also associated with being a very mischievous and mystical creature in a lot of Japanese folklore. And um, it also has giant testicles in a lot of the images that um, where it's depicted. And those are used for various things, including flying and, and just about anything else. They're, they're uh, Swiss Army testicles, as far as this goes. And the reason <laughs> we're talking about this is because in dojo mode in Street Fighter V, where you can dress your own stage with uh, an assortment of different ornaments... One of the things you can get is a giant tanuki statue, and it's got giant balls just hanging down. It's fine as far as I'm concerned. It's part of Japanese folklore. The game's rated T, and seeing some statue balls is not the worst thing in the world. But it is funny because we all have five-year-olds inside, and uh, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, Born Free, actually, is the one that brought it to light. Uh, I don't know how long it's been available, probably since the beginning of dojo mode, but... He got five of these giant statues and just lined them up in the back of his dojo and said, 100% ESPN approved dojo. <laughs> um, obviously referencing when ESPN censored Armika's standard costume in 2016 at Evo when Fudo was using her. It's, it's a process to figure out where all of our balances are going to be and what's okay and what's not. But I thought, you know what, we're just going full genitals this week and talking about... <laughs> All the different kinds of uh, uh, stuff that's been popping up in our video games as of late. So You know, John, I want to go back to something you, you just said. You, you use the phrase Swiss Army testicles. Yeah. Did you come with that, up with that on the fly, or did you have that like waiting in your pocket? No, anything. Like, if okay. I ever think of something and go, oh, this is going to be a good joke, and then like launch it 30 seconds later, it always falls flat. That was straight off the top of my head. Uh, I might have gotten it, though, because in the image of uh, uh, that, that Born Free posted, it's his Akuma standing in between two of these. And I recently heard Akuma's EX Demon Flip referred to as EX Swiss Army Knife, because okay. it, and that's a okay. very accurate description of that move. So it might have been a connection to those things. I don't know. But I felt like it worked, because they also do everything in Japanese folklore. So, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was damn good. I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh boy all right i'll so, use that as the timestamp. swiss army testicles people will jump to go. that spot and they'll just listen to this part of the podcast <laughs> immediately all right so moving moving right along from genitalia i, I swear every week we're not going to discuss genitalia unless people well anyway but i can't promise right that not, not <laughs> yeah. promising that at all marvel versus capcom uh <laughs> filipino champ gave a great interview about this very recently and i'm going to paraphrase a number of things here um but filipino champ for those who don't know was one of the best mvc3 players um ever uh very very big uh one of the best fighting game players of all time 
Um, he seemed to, going back to Marvel Infinite, he seemed to like the gameplay like a lot of people. Uh, but he felt like the game was a, a downgrade from Marvel 3 to, to Infinite, basically. And one of the things he cited that I thought was interesting was was the 3v3 and then the assist. And it's funny that, like, of all those, like, type of things that I never really kind of considered going away from straying too far from the formula is, is that. And basically... Since uh, Marvel 1, they've actually had assist in the game. Uh, Marvel 1 actually had, you know, a guest character assist, you know, where you randomly get like, you know, um, Arthur from uh, uh, Ghouls and Ghosts and, and he would come in and, you know, huck some stuff on the screen or, you know, there's like, I think like 20 or 30 different like random assists you can get. And then in Marvel 2, obviously you could pick a different assist, Marvel 3, same thing. Going away from that was really abandoning something that that was huge for the franchise. Wow, I, I never really thought about that. And then the same kind of thing with the 3v3 format where you have three characters and just kind of the the diversity and the approach that, that offers. Marvel versus Capcom 1 only had a 2v2, but again, since then, they, they've had a 3v3 format. It's interesting that you basically took something that was massively successful in Marvel 3 and Marvel 2 for that matter, and you you decided to throw it away. Why did you do that? Like of all the things to tweak in the game, why why did you take something that's kind of a proven success formula for you that all of your fans generally love and appreciate and just get rid of it? You so, mean like Wolverine? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh yeah, that was another thing that he brought up as well and I, man I, I kind of compared it to the lack of X-Men characters, basically to like not having Akuma or Sagat, um, <coughs> <yeah>, Sagat, <laughs> but uh, and like Bison and Guile in a Street Fighter game. It's not like Ryu and Ken quite the same, but it's some of your most popular characters in Marvel and like throwing them out the window. Um, but it was just it was interesting to me reading it over, and then uh, people have kind of been comparing uh, Dragon Ball Fighters to to Marvel. And, and I love Marvel, uh, and I love Dragon Ball Fighters. It's probably the number one esports game right now, if you ask me. Uh, some people make a case for Street Fighter V or Tekken 7, but I, I think Dragon Ball Fighters is like the number one game right now, uh, just from, from my own perspective. And it, to me, it's still not Marvel, though. Like, that... that volatility and that that crazy broken like play style and just kind of what it offers like marvel is very it's very much its own kind of unique thing and that's what makes it special and what makes it awesome and i think again i love dragon ball fighters but it's just not marvel at the end of the day and i i very happy to hear that we you know we have rumors of it coming back i just i do hope when it comes back after reading ryan filipino champs interview i'm like they have to bring it back to 3v3 and have assist in the game i don't care i know the gameplay was was well liked most people said you know the infinite gameplay was great but is it is it marvel without those things in there uh I, I mean i was never a marvel player i played it casually in arcades growing up and things like that but i really think that when you look at uh when you look at dragon ball fighters you know that it's a 3v3 with assist right you know that they were studying marvel versus capcom and all these assist um uh, kind of games the versus series as as a fundamental basis for how they wanted to approach their game and that's not to say it's at all a clone of, of these and that it's not its own game it very much is but i think that you, what with what you're getting with dragon ball fighters is them learning from the craziness that was marvel because it's still chaotic and it's still a 3v3 and there's still a million things on the screen at once but it doesn't have quite as much of that brokenness you know you're not mm -hmm. you're not finding unblockables left and right you're not finding infinites left and right um, there are still things like touch of death and that's okay. That That's the kind of chaotic, oh my gosh, kind of a thing that might not be okay in games like Tekken or Street Fighter, but it's okay in the, in the versus team format kind of branch of fighting games. And I think what you're seeing with Dragon Ball is the more modern version of that. It's like the evolution of that 
uh, of, of that branch of fighting games and that I don't think that we would go back to the kind of craziness that you're talking about with just the absolutely broken over the top stuff because I think that that's been something that's been focused on and and moved away from by developers mm-hmm. because it, I mean you want more esports friendly competitive titles that's not to say that they wouldn't necessarily do that if they brought Marvel back but I would bet against it I would think that they would still want to be very careful to have sure you can have the crazy epilepsy inducing chaos that is Marvel as far as presentation but when you're talking about uh, you know, just infinites and and unblockables and and ridiculousness that that takes away a little bit from the competition. Then I think that we're I think that those days are over in terms of the new games that are coming out. You might be right, I, and I hope it kind of stays there for Marvel. Like Marvel is the exception to the rules, basically. And in Street Fighter, I'm like hell no, you know, don't put that in there. And you know, we have Street Fighter Five with. You know, whatever, you know where I'm going there. But it's interesting that of all the players who really thrived in Marvel 3's lifespan, we have some of the most fundamentally solid, thoughtful players like in Filipino champ, Justin Wong and Chris G thriving in a game that was just like complete and utter chaos. It's interesting that it worked out that way. You would think, you know, a player like Kazunoko or something like that would just be like the best because of how YOLO and all that and whatnot he he goes and yet at the same time it was it was really so many of the fundamentally like just very solid players who thrived in that environment. So anyway, moving right along, we had a steering wheel victory at Canada <laughs> Cup, <laughs> where uh, to to put this into to better terms here, a player showed up uh, for Guilty Gear Top Eight and was using a steering wheel from a racing game to play. And he actually beat Dogura in top eight and got fifth overall. He lost after that. He, I, I've never seen anything like this before. I, I, I encourage people to go look at the website and look at the clips that we have up there. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting, but moving the steering wheel to left or right, as you would assume, gives him left or right inputs. And I don't even know how you would go about moving the steering wheel fast enough to like keep up with a game like Guilty Gear. Um, but I'll just actually throw out to people that there was a point in time where using a keyboard to control you know, a fighting game was considered crazy, but that's actually what hitboxes evolved from. Uh, people realized that doing some inputs on a keyboard were much easier, and again, you know, there was... Um, there was a time where you couldn't really get many fighting games on PC, but when they started going that way via emulators and other things like that, people started you know picking up on the keyboard usage and getting really good with it and realizing some things were much easier to do. And uh, it infamously became the stickless joystick, where you know it was uh, you know the buttons and again a hitbox, uh, the uh, the early version of one. And so I'm not saying that steering wheels are the next wave forward and that you know ever you're going to be seeing them show up in tournaments, but again, like there's some history here of using some unconventional like control methods and having success. Whatever you think at the end of the day is going to work for you is just fine because there was a time again where pad players were looked down upon, and if you used a pad at all, you could not compete. You had to have a joystick, right? Yep, I felt uh, that when I first started four. Yeah, and, and there you go. And so, but this guy beat Dogra in top eight at Canada Cup. That's not a nothing feat. Uh, I mean, getting top eight at all, like using this really unconventional, you know, uh, control scheme is just mind blowing. And if you watch this footage, like, I don't even think maybe like top end player, like, would, you know, see like the gaps and how, you know, maybe it's a, using it some kind of like thing for a disadvantage or whatever. But man, it's just wow. 
I can't believe you did that. And hats off to you. Again, don't let people tell you how to play, you know, games that you enjoy. If you have something that works for you, like stick with it type thing. <laughs> Playing Guilty Gear with a steering wheel, maybe foreshadowing the car crash that the uh, entire event would end up being. Oh, no. <laughs> we'll get into that later. There's some other stuff I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, but let's see. Okay, so Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. A big ol' honkin' leak that may or may not have revealed the entire remaining roster. Uh, and it's with characters that everyone has want. well, that have been very highly requested. And then a few other ones that are just out of left field. But characters like Banjo-Kazooie, uh, Shadow the Hedgehog, Ken Masters. Um, and, and that, oh, and Gino, I should say. But that is uh, its own story, and you guys can check that out. Uh, it may or may not be real. It's, again, it's just a leak and it's a rumor at this point. But one of the parts that uh, kind of was was an evidence that this is probably real was that there was, in this image that we saw of these alleged new characters coming to the game, there was also some promotional material for the new Grinch movie that's coming out, also in the photo. And it was content that hadn't been seen for the Grinch movie either. And But apparently there's, like, there's a studio that both ultimate and the grinch share or something like that but it made this guy whoever it was that shared it look a little bit more legitimate and as a result people uh the internet never fails put together some memes <laughs> with these new characters and the grinch as though he were uh exposing them for christmas or something like that you know for for leaking them to the to the world and we collected a handful of these and I looked at them like, like three or four times and laughed just as hard each time. So I really wanted to highlight these for people. Uh, go and check them all out. I'll just share the first one here uh, where it shows the Grinch and he's got this giant sack with all of these characters that are proposed in it. And it says, now here's a strange twist, jeered the Santa imposter. And with a flick of his wrist, he leaked the whole roster. And a lot of this <laughs> stuff, yeah, that's great. That's um, very good, yeah. And, and these are pretty quality. There's uh, there's at least six of them floating on our, on our site here. You guys can check that out. The other one that I really appreciated is a Banjo-Kazooie uh, illustrated like uh, in the the old Grinch cartoon where he does that just the most evil smile in the world and his whole face including like his hair moves along with it well they have Banjo pose like that and Kazooie pose like his dog uh, Max and it's it's spot on so highly recommend you guys checking those out just for a laugh or two but also hey maybe some uh, highly requested characters on Road to Smash yeah, and, and people are going to, you know, throw out there like, hey, why do you guys post like memes and kind of jokey, lighthearted, you know, type stuff? And the answer to that is very simple. We post a lot of hardcore news and, you know, it's like often the stories like people like to, like to blow us up on social media and be like, hey, why did you post this garbage instead of, you know, this tournament announcement or whatever? Honestly, our readers do get tired of just hardcore news after hardcore news. Like, this is how the input leg is going to impact Street Fighter V. Here is, you know, a breakdown of Dragon Ball Fighters, the tier list, and what's going on and stuff. Again, people enjoy that news, but if we do it over and over and over again, it hits a saturation point where people are like, hey, you know what? Uh, your event hubs, give me something to laugh at. Give me a lizard dick, you know, pretty much. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we have to mix and match the news. We found this over the years. And the day that we get out of the business of serving what our readers want to see is the day we go out of business, you know, and that is it's we have to put what people want to see in front of them. And that's what we always do. And so if you see the memes, or you see the cosplay galleries and all that other kind of stuff up there, that's helping to pave the way for the hardcore journalism that we do. 
I, I know I just called us like, you know, saying hardcore journalism and, you know, uh, we're finding a community, right? I mean, we'll, the we more do serious some, stuff that we do. Yeah. Yes. The more, the more serious and like in-depth stuff. Like, I mean, that, that, you know, that helps all of it come along. And again, it's part of it too. Like you can go on event hubs and hopefully laugh at some of the content we've put up there and have a good time. It's, it's fighting games. You watch Abel's ultra and you cannot help, but kind of like chuckle at how goofy it is at some point. And, and that's, I mean, that's, and at the end of the day, it's what fighting games are. And so, that's what we covered. Didn't so. didn't this whole website start with the SRK forums and you saying, I like this, I want to do something similar. And and as far as my understanding is, like forums, I mean, you go on our Kappa, I think that's the our Kappa or our Street Fighter, people are sharing relevant tech, helping each other get better, uh, posting about events, and they're also sharing goofy stuff that's going to make yeah. you laugh. You yeah. go to a newspaper, you're going to read about the headlines, and that's all there. But there's also an entire section devoted to just funnies, you know, maybe yeah. political cartoons, maybe just little jokes, maybe just like... You know, the equivalent of, of memes that you'll see while scrolling on Facebook or Twitter. You know, I mean, that's been the approach for forever. So yep. to people that come up and say that those kinds of things and, and, and have that as a critique, it's like, well, you know, you don't have to click on that. But yeah. a lot of people do, man. Like yeah. that's a very those those image galleries and stuff, the memes and whatnot. They're very, very uh, they, they get a lot of traffic. And and there's there's no event hub statement that says we only do this. You know that's just something that people have evolved uh, in their own minds. It's like you're gonna come to event hubs, you're gonna get tournament coverage, you're gonna get uh, all the the major announcements. We're not we're not gonna post every single tournament because there's there's like almost too many majors at this point. That's its own conversation to have, right? We actually have an event calendar that has most of the majors in there that we update, keep updated on the community. It's actually linked on every single page on our website. It's there. It gets an okay amount of traffic, but most people don't really care uh, about tournament listings until the tournament kind of happens. And then they care about it. Like they'll watch it, but the listings are something we kind of do as like a service to the community. And it's so funny that so many people kind of don't know about them, even other TOs. It's right there. Go check it out. The listings are there and updated and current, but yeah, yeah. it's, it's hubs, man. Like it's like going to a mall, you know, you're going to get, you're going to have all your different kinds of stores and places to eat and everything. And we're just trying to accommodate as much as we can for as many people as we can within the parameters of fighting games. There you go. So since you brought up the SRK forums, I wanted to, to clarify on that. I actually was going on the SRK forums for a good bit back in like 2006 or 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, back uh, Actually, way back in the day, I had a GeoCities website, and I actually helped the Canons work on Shuriken a little bit, not much. Uh, just contributed some content. I did not content. know that. This yeah. is awesome. I love Event yeah. Hub Storytime. The readers and or the listeners and I are all sitting crisscross applesauce right now with this <laughs> awesome story. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, my original GeoCities website was Catalyst Street Fighter Guide. Like, if I've had the, that username since back in the I think the X-Band days or a little bit after that um, and uh, so I, I had my own uh, uh, site that was basically devoted to Alpha 2 and then the news about Alpha 3 broke from Nick Rocks and uh, I had that up on my website and Shuriken actually went down uh, because of traffic we worked together to put the site up on, on um, my GeoCity site uh, the content up there and then I was working with the Canons on some of the code and different things like that and um, and yeah so it actually was one of the uh, not not that I did some amazing amount of work on Shuriken or anything like that just like I contributed a little bit to it back in the day uh, hanging out on uh, Number Capcom on IRC or I guess it was Number SF2 back then uh, like really old school so those people who remember IRC but anyway 
So I get back into the scene back in about 2006, 2007. I'm trying to play Third Strike online and I'm hitting a bunch of walls and going, damn, like I used to play these games like super actively and it's kind of hard to get back into it. So I'm asking people for some some tips and just kind of going back and forth. And I so I go on the SRK forums and they're like, get wrecked, scrub. Like, get out of here. Like, you suck. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, I'm literally like asking, like, you know, I, I know how to do cancels and how to do bread and butter combos and how to do this stuff. And they basically told me to F off. If you want to get involved in these fighting games and like have fun with them the last place you want to go is the SRK forums because they're pretty much just going to tell you to screw off you suck and so I started with fighting game content because I had friends in the fighting game community who were who were doing this stuff and I'm like let me put some stuff up here on event hubs and it's event hubs was going to be an event-based website that's why it's called event hubs and I just wanted to start with you know um I wanted to start with fighting game content, like I said, because I had friends there, and there's a there's a need there, so let's go ahead and do it. And again, uh, SRK, it's funny, like we started blogging like back I think in like 2008, and then SRK for like two or three years like did not give two craps about blogging or updating their front page, and then all of a sudden like they started updating their front page and doing stuff, and uh, we add all these features, and then all of a sudden they add features. Literally, you could not get Evo results on Shuriken for the longest time. You had to go to event hubs to get it, and so we actually pioneered a lot of things in the fighting game community. Uh, that are in practice to this very day. Uh, and again, you know, uh, props to Shuriken, props to the Canons. They did a lot of stuff for the community too. They, they kept it going through the Dark Ages, uh, obviously behind Evo. Um, you know, they've done a, a ton of stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, there's the roots of the fighting game community are quite interesting and quite, um, they're quite out there. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's cool. So moving right along, uh, <laughs> story time's over. Uh, we're going to get into some Capcom Cup stuff, actually, that had come up. Uh, you did an article here very recently about Tokido and Mena RD basically having different kind of routes here in 2018. I was wondering if you could get a little bit more into that and kind of explain the basis of your story. Yeah, so, well, Capcom Cup 2017, um, I don't think that anyone's fantasy bracket had Mena RD in the top eight, let alone winning the whole thing. This guy was decently good, and but every time he took down another match, uh, people were like, "Huh, that's, wow, oh, I didn't expect that." And and there was just I didn't expect that after I didn't expect that, save for the the Dominican Republic guys that were cheering like you you knew every time Mena was up if you were in that same hotel because they were going crazy, which is one of the most awesome things about attending fighting games live. Um, unless of course you're uh, Goichi, but <laughs> some conversation. Uh, but no, it was it was a uh, an interesting run, um, and and Mena gets all the way to the top eight and defies the odds, and then not only resets, but then defeats Tokido, who's obviously one of the favorites to win from the very beginning. And uh, yeah, we, we covered a you know a myriad of things that happened after that. He gets his own character in the game. And, and he's the best in the business. He scores $250,000 as an 18-year-old, is acknowledged by the Dominican Republic um, you know, president and government. Uh, it was a huge thing and, and, a, and a great, a wonderful story. And then, of course, we, we, the, the immediate backlash after that happened, well, well, he uses cheap tactics, well, this, well, that. Like, it's not a very legit win as, as a lot of um, like the more conservative people in the FGC can tend to be. And I, I mean, like... You brought up earlier when I started playing and I was using a, a control pad, that wasn't viewed as legitimate. So even if I won, you know, back in the day, it was like, well, that's not legit, just even in my own community. So anyways, uh, it was it was a big deal, though, because this guy went from not very known to the best. Uh, and, and so it's like, well, you're under the spotlight now. Let's see what happens. 
And so we are, gosh, we're three events away from Capcom Cup 2018 now. And both of these competitors, both of the finalists are uh, qualified. Obviously, Men is qualified because he won. Um, Tokido has over 4,000 points. Second place, Fujimura has like 2,900. Tokido has more than 4,000 points. This guy is ridiculous. So I actually noticed that uh, Mena RD, when we started the year, uh, despite being, you know, he, he's in no matter what, he gets a spot, but he's been competing also in tournaments uh, on the Pro Tour. And he was up there, I believe he started around in the top 10 if not just outside of it, but he's slowly but surely been uh, falling on the charts as, as people have been overtaking him, and he finds himself now in 28th place, which is very different than the top 10. And as the reigning champion, you go, hmm, it's interesting that the reigning champ's in 28th. Now, you know, Birdie has been nerfed a little bit, and, um, and maybe he hasn't gone to all of the events that he would like to, who knows. I know he's not going to make it out to the Latin American finals because of uh, visa issues and because that's, that's its own kind of crap fest there with Brazil having a cap on that. And uh, obviously there's no money involved because it's Brazil and their, and their specific laws. But there's a little bit of controversy surrounding that. But Mena and Caba um, won't be there because they weren't informed in time and, and therefore couldn't get their visas ready. And so he's not going to be able to, to grab any more points as far as that event goes. I think one of the other events on the tour is the North American Online East Finals, so he won't be participating in that. And then the other one is the North American Finals in, in Washington, I believe it is, um, coming up here in November. So I, I think he could potentially participate in that for some points. But anyways, um, I wanted to look and see. It's like, man, Tokido has more points than I think anyone may have ever had on the Pro Tour. Uh, obviously, there's more points floating around because there's more events than I've ever been uh, this year. And plus, premieres I think are worth more now, or something like that. Like the the point, you know, differential got messed up quite a bit. Not messed up, altered. I should. Yeah, say. yeah. But and and, and Tokido's gotten two second place finishes, and then an Evo second place finish, and then two first place premier finishes. Uh, it just in like the last like two or three months or so so he's catapulted up and and now he's sitting a head and shoulders above everyone else meanwhile mena the reigning champion in 28th place so i wanted to look over and see what their what their years have kind of been like and see what their paths have been because these guys are both going to be at the big dance in december and, and and like i said Mena's status as the reigning champion automatically spotlights him to some degree, even if it means saying like he's spotlighted and he's for whatever reason fallen off. Um, and so, looking at their uh, their their runs here, Mena has uh, I think two first place finishes, and those were both in ranking events. And then a handful he got ninth at Evo, which you know, no, not even top eight. Yeah, well, it's Evo, and that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, he had travel issues too, even getting there. Like oh, yeah. He barely arrived, and it was like the jet lag and all that stuff he had to deal with. That was an impressive showing. So, right, but yeah. Right. So, he's, and, and he's had some decent performances, especially in ranking events, not as much so in premieres, a lot of ninth places, 13th, and then a couple of, of, of even higher ones. But he sits at 28th place with 682 points, and he m very likely won't participate in any of the remaining events. He doesn't have to either, like we said. Um, Tokido, uh, you know, I already said he's he's got a, a million billion points, forty one hundred, um, and has a, a handful of, of victories. And and for all intents and purposes, I think it's it's safe to argue that he's the he's the guy to beat right now. Mm -hmm. Now I say all that and say, well, uh, it sounds like the champs kind of fallen off. If you look at last year, uh, when when people weren't spotlighting Mena, 
he was coming into Capcom Cup with, I think it was 920 points or so in the 900s, which if he were going to any of these last premier events, he very easily could turn his 680 points up to 900, no problem. And I would expect that if he does attend any of those, he will because there's plenty of points floating around at premier events. He's in more or less the same kind of position that he was last year. And hey, he took the whole thing down. So one thing that I've learned from this guy is you can never, ever count him out. He is a, uh, at the worst, he's a wild card. And he's continued to, to, to show very strong play. Um, and uh, people also talk about how the input lag, I mean, he himself said, well, rest in peace, EX Dolphin Dive, that that may affect his style of play and it may affect Birdie as a character. So it's more just setting the stage, seeing that we're going here into uh, Capcom Cup in just a little over a month, maybe about six weeks from now. But if you were to look at these two and go, oh man, Mena's fallen off, I would advise against that kind of thinking. I think that you can never count this guy out. I made the mistake of trying to count him out uh, with uh, little side boots at Capcom Cup, and I lost all of them. So <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love to, to toot my own horn on this. I called him winning Capcom Cup last year uh, after top eight, not from the get-go. But when he like, qualified uh, for top eight? When he qualified for top eight, I'm like, no one's beating this guy. I, 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 like, I was pretty... I wouldn't, you know... I, Making predictions on Street Fighter Five is not the easiest thing ever, <laughs> no. but um, <laughs> uh, I I felt pretty confident. I'm like, this guy's the top player right now. Like, he just he came in so hot in the way he was playing. I'm like, yeah, this guy's got it. So well, yeah. and he did, and he yep. did. He he went. You know, I don't know if he started the. I think he started the day in losers too. But I'm not. Oh certain. no, he started in winners. He was in winners. Oh, and so. he lost to Tokido, right? He lost to Tokido, and then he um, brought back. And, I think um, Tokido ran it back in Grand Finals, if I remember correctly. I'll pull up the uh, Capcom Cup results here and see. But uh, I think he advanced. Um, he he got um, through Winner's Semis and Winner's Finals, and um, and yeah, uh, I think so. But okay. I'll cheat here and look it up in the background. So. <laughs> but all that to say that, yeah, he's in 28th place, and yeah, that might not be the best look going into it, but it's still not a terrible thing to put your bets on this guy. He's shown that he's able to do it. And um, and if he wins it all again, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, you wouldn't yep. color me surprised in that situation. So, so uh, just to recap here for our listeners here, he beat uh, Itabashi Zangief in winner's semis and then actually lost to Tokido in winner's finals 3-2 and then came back and reset the bracket in grand finals and then won it all, of course, uh, 3-1 at the very end. So. Yeah, so it'll be interesting, and, and we're going to see more stories like that emerge. This was just comparing the two finalists of last year, but as we get closer and closer uh, and, and the final 32-man bracket begins to become more and more apparent and, and you know set in stone, uh, we'll see more of these stories emerge and more speculation and like who do you think is going to win this and whatnot. And it's going to be a real fun time, as it always is, leading up into and then actually uh, going through Capcom Cup. Yeah, and I just want to tell people uh, listening as well that Mena RD was in 25th place last year in 2017 uh, when he went on to go win Capcom Cup all the way. And as you mentioned, he's at 28th right now this year. And just the point comparison is uh, right now, uh, last year, Mena RD finished with 920 points. And then if I can find him here on the CPT list, I think he's down one more. He has 682. So again, that's easy to make up if he, as you mentioned, attends a premier event and wins it. It's like a third place finish at a premier event. Yeah, it's not. It's not even that high to, to jump up 300 points. It's he could do it. Uh, I wonder if he's pretty much okay with the seating. He's like, you know what? Like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna kind of go through here and do this. Uh, also, he won quite a bit of money. He might be like, yeah, I'm good. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I'll show up and I'll play and all that. But uh, but yeah, um, I, I do remember him though in 2017 having a little bit of a better run. 
And looking at these results, I mean, that's definitely backed up here. Where where he was, uh, he was going into Capcom Cup a little bit hotter. You know, at SCR, uh, he had a fourth place finish. Um, at First Attack PR, he had a second place finish. He had like more momentum going in, but also it's probably a little bit of the. Uh, underdog effect too like where men rd as you mentioned was not on people's radars and then like you know so him doing well at a tournament was kind of a surprise mm-hmm. where now it's become the expectation where yeah of course men rd is going to do very good at a tournament so right. Yeah. right i'm so looking forward to like his matches and whatnot and it's uh it's street fighter 5 and i'm, I'm going to contradict myself here in just a second but the game is so volatile i i agree 100 percent with that but we have Tokido, who's putting on one a, another very dominant and incredible performance. Like he's got like what one or two. Tokido is yeah. hotter than I've seen anybody be as far as getting ready for Capcom Cup. Like he turned it on at the right time in the season. Right. Oh my gosh! Uh, like I have his results right here. Just just okay. First at Canada Cup. Second at SEA Major, which is also a premiere. First at Tokyo Game Show. Thirty third. Esports Festival Hong Kong, which is also a premiere. And then second, TW Fighter Major, premiere. Second at Evo. Uh, and that was just in the last, you know, since since August. So he's been second. And these are all premieres and an Evo. Second, second, 33rd, first, second, first. Um, and that's how you get to 44,161 points. The guy is, is for sure the one to beat, but, you know, yeah, nothing's he, for certain. He's already won a quarter of a million dollars, as, as far as I know, in prize money <laughs> this year. And, I mean, it's he's like he can win a whole another quarter of a million dollars, finish with a half million um, by winning Cat- our Capcom Cup. And so I, I want to go back to this. Like, and I'm, I'm torn on this because, okay, the game is volatile, but people want to call Street Fighter V, like, random. We've seen some of the most dominant performances ever in a Street Fighter game, like, for consistency – in this game where we we didn't see that level of consistency, in my opinion, in Street Fighter 4. And that's with Tokido, Knuckle Dew, Infiltration. Uh, Those are kind of like the main players that have had like just kind of this run of dominance where they were just kind of unbeatable for a period of time. And we did see that a little bit in Street Fighter 4, but not for this like sustained period. How the hell are they doing it? How are they not getting random out more often? You know what? Yeah. When we when we first got Street Fighter 5, and I didn't even have as much of a well, of course I didn't because I hadn't played it as long. I hadn't had as much experience. But one of the first like articles that I wrote about this um, after having played it for mm, my guess is like six months and feeling this, it's more volatile. It's more random. The way I I articulated it then, and I think that this still reigns true now, and it kind of answers this question, is when you were playing Street Fighter 4, there, you know, say there were four tiers of players, right? Like, say say there's like S, A, B, and C tier players. The C tiers are just those that are just barely starting out, and then, you know, B, A, S. The S tier players didn't really lose to anyone except for the S tier players, and the collection of players at the top was a little bit bigger. That group of S tier was a little bit bigger. So it's like the top, nah, let's say like the top 20% of players in, in the world, they were going to beat anyone that was in a tier below them almost all the time. And it was a surprise when that didn't happen. Now, in Street Fighter V, the best players in the world are still consistent and still almost always beat everybody below them. But that, that collection of players is much smaller at the top. And, and in the middle of the Street Fighter V spread, like the, the middle like 70% of players, those people, like where I am, those people are not, um, they, like you can lose to anybody in that huge spread. You know, you can lose to, a, to like a top 30% player. 
um, and you can lose to a top 60% player. But it's like the, the, the volatility happens more in the middle and it's a much bigger window. So yes, players like Tokido, Knuckle do them. Those are like top 1% players. They're going to be consistent more often because they have an understanding of this game and how to play it specifically. Like they're pros. They know how to do this. Okay. So I, I agree with that to a point, but also one of the factors I don't think people consider enough is that esports started out from the very beginning of Street Fighter V. They, they made this an esports game. They wanted people competing in it and whatnot. When Street Fighter IV came out in 2009, no one was taking the game seriously as like a professional esports game. It was like you played it for competitive reasons, but... There was no, there was no scene in terms of like uh, beyond. I mean, obviously the fighting game community, but there was no esports scene. You might win five hundred bucks from winning Evo or whatever, or like five dollars. I guess I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> um, you, you, there was no giant stakes from the get go. Like those built up over time and became a thing. And so, there's a lot more people competing for Street Fighter Five to win money because it actually exists. Now. Sure, like there's a you can make a legitimate living, and, and in some cases, if you're Tokido, like I guess you can retire in two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and so that's that has to be a factor. It's kind of like you know what people look at in the NBA in terms of technology, and that's another thing is, is technology in terms of um, like Twitch and YouTube and other things. Like even back in the day in 2009, I know this very well. The amount of content that you could find online in terms of getting better and all that kind of stuff, and even bad and bunk information, it just—I mean, we've hired way more staff members, we've allocated way more sources on uh, resources on event hubs to inform the community more of this stuff. And but back in, in 2009, like it was just kind of me, you know, <laughs> like updating this stuff and doing as best I could um, on the site. And I mean, you know, having to go through like 50 forum pages to try to you know find that one bit of data and all that. Like Twitch didn't exist. Um, you know, YouTube was just kind of getting up off the ground. People weren't putting content. Enough. The the amount of information at the touch of your fingertips. I don't think people account for how much the community has leveled up in a short period of time. Uh, I, I'm a way better player than I was, you know, back in the Super Turbo days because of the amount of information that I could access at just like a drop of a hat and all the technology that is openly shared and all the match footage that, that is available. Um, back in my day, you were lucky if you got a copy of a VHS tape uh, with the, um, the, the combos on it. I cannot remember the guy's name. Uh, it was like an acronym like TWZ or something like that. I, I can't remember, but he did, you know, this turbo setup and recorded, you know, VHS combos like that. The fighting game community like shared. And that was like how you saw like, you know, his combo footage and, and, and stuff. And it was like, it was amazing. Um, and now it's like literally takes seconds to load up YouTube and pull up that information on like a specific matchup at a specific time with a specific like type of play style that you're looking for. Oh, well, this person plays more defensive than I do. I need a player who plays more offensively. Now that information's right there, you know? And so I, I don't think that people look at this information enough and factor that in in terms of how much our entire community is leveled up. Like they think it's just Street Fighter V and how random the game is. Like, no, your field that you're playing against is way better than it has ever been. Online training grounds are way better. The CFN is damn good. In some respects, people have issues with the net codes, but in terms of of the matchmaking, um, you know, taking care of rage quitters, taking care of all this stuff, like the community is leveled up massively since um, since the Street Fighter Four era. If you ask me yeah and it'd probably be like going from a community where you're really good but say it's in like the midwest from 10 years ago where like yeah you're the best on your block but then you go to socal where it's a hot spot and there are a lot more players to choose from and they're sharing tech and they're just gonna and they're always gonna be better because they have more resource more opportunity now we're actually seeing those players from the midwest because they have similar uh, amounts of opportunity or similar amounts of 
um, access to information and ability to practice and train like those other players from the coasts. Um, and, and now we're seeing a lot more success from them. But back in the day, it's like, yeah, the, 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 you were just so much more limited. And Street Fighter V, I think, represents that. There's so much more opportunity. Uh, and, and yeah, so I agree with you there, for sure. It, it's a harder and it's a more competitive field. Um, and yeah. Okay, so now I wanted to get into something I saw um, when the Canada Cup streams were actually up, and we'll get into the kind of the problems there, but we've, we've talked about input lag a lot, and we did uh, an interview with Alex Myers, who is just this great, like, uh, he, he's so good at articul- articulating his thoughts and having really good knowledge of these games. He studies them at a very high level. Um, I highly recommend uh, listening up when, when Alex Myers talks about stuff. He's he's very cerebral with this stuff, and, and so... Um, I was quite happy to have an interview with him uh, go up on our site. Uh, he talked about his match against Nemo, which was earlier in pools at Canada Cup. And he said that he kind of went into the match with a game plan uh, to whiff punish him more. And and so he had this in mind even before the patch drop with input lag. But it felt like the changes overall like to that helped him execute his game plan a little bit better. But he did ultimately say that what changed the most was his mindset. And that's why he felt that he had a good result at Canada Cup. And he, he placed ninth overall. Like, it wasn't so much the actual change of the game. It was his mindset changing. And, again, he reiterated that, like, hey, look, it's Street Fighter Five at the end of the day. Like, it's still the same game. Um, it's not much different now. He's just more comfortable. You know, and it, and it speaks to that, like, polish and that, like, other things in the game. And and Myers is one of the better whiff-punishing players in the community. He's very good with his reactions. Uh, it's it's a, it's something he's very strong at. And it's something that you alluded to that Cammy's very proficient with as well. Mm-hmm. Especially with that walk speed. She's got a good uh, control of the space. And speaking of control, that's one of the ways I describe gameplay in street fighter 5 after this patch is like i feel like i have more control over my fate and we already talked about this last week some of it is going to be mental some of it's going to be pure placebo and some of it is going to be just like these little bits of tweaks but you know that it's not as much something out of your uh, control out of your uh you know what your it's not that you got hit because you didn't react as you got hit because uh, or I'm sorry, it's not that you didn't get hit, that you got hit because even though you reacted, it was those two or three frames or one frame that the game took to to register your input and that's why you got hit. You know that it's on you now. And, and then you at least feel like, well, even if that was me, there's something that I can change and work on to to evolve and that's fun. And then when you, you know, when you do pull off the thing, like there's sometimes when, when I'm playing and I'll, I'll try to, I'll super through a fireball and the fireball will be like right on me. Cause it's like a guile EX sonic boom. And I go before the patch, I got hit there, like almost for sure, because it was so close, like right over the, like over already overlapping my body. Just the hitboxes hadn't interacted yet. And I go, there's an example. Or when you hit like a last minute DP, you're like, there's an example where before the patch, I probably got jumped in on. And I didn't hear. And that feels very good, especially with the backdrop of the last two and a half years where you had so many negative feelings coming because maybe there were times uh, on the other side of the coin, maybe there were times where it was just you and it didn't matter. The input lag wasn't the deciding factor there. Your reaction was way too late. But there was a part of your head that went, well, maybe that was because the input lag because you don't know, you know, for sure. Like it's it's we're talking about 60th of seconds here. 
but you it, there's a sense of control about the game and there's therefore a sense of satisfaction when you do something correctly or in time and there's a sense of well I can level up and I can move forward and I, I it's my destiny you know that when when it doesn't go your way and and it's a much more enjoyable experience overall and yes like knowing that and going into it it's it's just a much more fun game to play yeah when I was watching Canada Cup uh, my own play online, like I, I've been playing the game a decent amount, like since the the patch came out, and I I feel like the the change to input lag is being less of a factor than I assumed it was going to be. Like the game just feels like the same old, same old. And then watching Cabinet Cup and, and watching you know top end players use it, I'm like, they're whiff punishing more. There's more footsies. There's more calculated play going on. It's not through all aspects of the tournament, but especially going into like the top eight, the parts that were streamed, like I'm seeing much more calculated and and reasonable play happening. And it's interesting. I'm like, okay, like maybe, you know, maybe there's a little bit more to this than I assumed it would be. Like I'm uh, infamous for saying, you know, 10 to 20% change. Like maybe for some players and some characters and and different matchups, that's going to go more up to like 30 or 40%, which is very significant. That's a, that's a dramatic way of of changing things. So I'm, I'm really curious where this shakes out at. Like I was, again, when I'm playing myself and maybe it's because I'm a stubborn idiot who doesn't know how to play the game properly. Uh, I, I'm feeling less and less of like, you know, the input like changes, but when I'm seeing it in the hands of top players, uh, despite, you know, what Meyer said, like, it seems like they're doing it more. It seems like it's actively, you know, becoming more of a thing. So, yeah. And, and, and it very well could be just the confidence to, to know, like, I think I can with punish and therefore I'm going to try more and therefore I'm going to have better success rate. Right. Um, but what, it, you know, the TLDR of it is it's not just the math. You know, it's not just the fact that these have been tweaked. It's also the mental state that it puts players in because they know this. And that's all adds up to the overall experience, which I think is much better. All of those components of that equation considered. Right. So getting into the Canada Cup, uh, Canada Cup problems, basically what happened for people who didn't see, you know, the tournament, which is I, you know, a lot of people, damn, um, I don't want to fire extra shots here at Lapchi and co. Uh, it, I, I'll stay up front that, Canada Cup generally does a very good job at their tournaments. Most people who go there, uh, I know they had the 895 memes and all that kind of stuff that that happened in the past. They are generally thought of as some of the better TOs in the community. Uh, Lapchi really puts it on the line kind of every time out. And this was a shock to most people that the, the tournament did not end up that well. And so there were a lot of matches played off stream. Uh, that was a big thing. Even in, in top eight of Street Fighter V, I think like half the matches or maybe even a little bit more uh, were played off stream. Uh, there was conflicting schedules for competitors. For example, Leffen actually disqualified himself in uh, Super Smash Brothers Melee so he could play Dragon Ball Fighters. And that's like so disappointing for, for Melee fans because Leffen's like one of the best players in both games. And uh, it's just like, ouch. And uh, there were power issues at the venue. Uh, a number of other players were getting uh, disqualified. I heard reports and could not back this up through our own independent reporting, so we didn't put it up anywhere. But I'll just say that that people would leave the venue, and the venue was so crowded when they tried to get back in, they could not, and actually ended up getting disqualified for that. So it's like you had to hang out in a very crowded venue, or you kind of risk like disqualification. Now and- this all was held at a. It's my understanding. It was held with a, another con or an entire other event, right? Exactly. Uh, EGLX, which stands for Enthusiast Gaming Live Expo, was a convention that was held right with Canada Cup. And there was someone I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put their name here on the pod, uh, but I'll just say a very well respected member of the community that said that coupling a convention with a fighting game tournament like 
can be very disastrous, basically. And it's generally has not worked out very well for our community to do so uh, and highly advised against it. And I think we're kind of seeing the reasons why. And it's it's kind of a lesson that you learn when you learn it. Like there's no there's no TO handbook that I'm familiar with where, you know, the, the TOs kind of talk to each other and say, hey, never do this, you know, type thing. Uh, they have discussions. They do talk to each other, but it's not like this stuff is well documented. And I think that, a lot of the problems came from that. There were other problems that were not, you know, attributable to, to that aspect. Um, but the Canada Cup team actually did release a statement and said, and I quote, this year we had some major growing pains. As a team, we were all disappointed that the players and those watching from home didn't have the same experience they have come to expect from our annual events. We are not prepared for the we were not prepared for the challenges that arose from moving our flagship event to a convention space and we let you down. Uh, and they continue, Canada Cup has always been about the community, and we're taking it to heart, the constructive feedback that we've seen. We will learn from this year and come back stronger than ever. Thank you, as always, for your support. And I I will also, you know, again, I'll, I'll really go to bat for Lapchi here because uh, he cares so much about the community. He has lost a lot of money hosting tournaments in the scene, and he basically does it to... He loves fighting games. He loves his, his competitive scene up there in Canada. Uh, I have heard reports of TOs losing between five to $10,000 per tournament. Uh, that is not on the regular. That's when it goes bad and does not work very well. Uh, a number of TOs make profits, uh, but you can lose your, your ass basically in this job if you don't run things very, very, very well. And, and that's a, a very unfortunate situation. I hope people don't uh, pile on our TOs in the community because – most of them are not making great money, and this is a job with a high degree of difficulty and little room for error. And and they have to work their butts off for that period of time to make it go over and make it strong. And realize that the TOs often care so much about the quality of their event. There's some TOs that I'm not particularly fond of who will go nameless that I don't think their events are up to snuff, uh, and I don't think their heads are quite in the right place. But even then, I think they try hard, and I think they work hard at this. And so it's it's few and far between to find a truly bad and terrible TO. They exist, but, but yeah, so try to cut these guys some slack. They do care about it. Uh, they messed up. But it's it's not like they can, you know, pick up, you know, in the middle of the convention and say, hey, man, this is going horrible. Let's like let's change venues to like Jim's house or something like that. It's you know, they're they're stuck with that scenario and they've got to make the best of it when that goes down. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that there is plenty of, of negativity towards Lapshi and the event. But from what I saw on social media, players like Justin Wong, Alex Myers, I think Alex Jabaley, you know, fellow T.O., mm-hmm. everyone was going to bat for Lapshi saying like, yes, it sucks. Yes, this is a hiccup. But... Uh, you can't put it all on this guy, and he's like what you were just saying. He's got the FGC's uh, best interests at heart, and he'll fix this and, and and move forward and move on. Like don't don't ostracize this guy. Don't bring out the pitchforks and the and, and the torches and and go for him. This is a forgivable kind of offense. Was the was the general consensus and well from from what I saw, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of truth in that. And and I know Lapchi personally, and I, I agree. He's a great guy, and and. Like you said, he's been basically putting money, you know, losing money to keep the FGC in Canada going um, in, in a lot of instances. And I don't know the all the details and the finances and whatnot, but I know that um, there have been plenty of times where it, it hasn't worked out for him financially, but yet you still have a good event. 
And you see, like, you you brought up the 895 thing where he was charging uh, 895 to view the stream or something along those lines. And that became a meme that was, like, yeah, it was it, it was something that you point the finger and you go, you screwed up there. That wasn't that wasn't a good move. But it's it's done with with like almost this cavalier and, and in in jest kind of manner because Lapchi has a lot of charisma and a lot of respect in the community. So when he does these kind of screw ups, they kind of just more or less become memes because it's on such a stable foundation in Lapchi's relationship with the FGC. All that said, I think that going through this and kind of going, well, where was the screw up? And at the end of the day, when these kind of screw ups happen, there does need to be probably some kind of repercussion just in the idea of avoiding having it happen again. I think the biggest problem was that it was paired with a, uh, a convention like this or another event where it wasn't necessarily just the fighting game major going on and and that led to overpopulation and power problems and and time issues where i guess like streams were being shut down because of because they just didn't have time anymore and everyone knows that the only thing for sure that's going to happen at a tournament is that it's not going to run on time you know it's going to go tournament standard time for sure um but i i, I don't know uh, i don't have a direct answer but i think it's worth kind of hashing out a little bit like should capcom cup be a premiere event next year should they should it be on the pro tour at all next year given what happened here you know for me i would say absolutely uh, i don't think that i don't think removing its premier status like the punishment doesn't fit the crime if you ask me it would be different and maybe more details will come out and we'll see like that's not the case but for me it's like they've had so much success they didn't cheat in brackets they didn't you know do some weird stuff in the canada community like they've got some really strong players up there who deserve the, the limelight of a premier event and, and for me, I'd keep it right there. I think you look at the track record overall and the whole picture. Uh, and I, I think you say, you know what, they it happens and I think they'll have a good recovery. Mm-hmm. And they've had so many instances where, I mean, if this happened in a vacuum, you go, oh yeah, that's crap. Like we'll, we'll never have this again. Mm-hmm. But there've been so many successful Canada Cups, so yeah. many memorable Canada Cups. And and so it, it very well is probably the the biggest issue was you you paired up with a convention and it kind of ate you mm-hmm. and and hopefully that's the only issue and then we just don't do it next year um so it'll be interesting to see how things play out next year canada cup better dot its i's and cross its t's um to to save face uh, you know coming off of this more or less unsuccessful year but uh but we'll see and i think that Lapchi has enough clout and enough faith from the community that he'll be able to to replicate that given that capcom does indeed do Canada Cup again, and it would be tragic if they if they got rid of Canada's big you know biggest tournament and didn't replace it at least with another Canadian tournament. And who's going to do it besides Lapchi? Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are people, but uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that it should come back. I think we should give it another shot, and and I and I have faith that it will go over well. There will be learned um, learned lessons, and um, and those will be implemented next time. Yeah, and Lapchi did set up a drinking lounge for everyone that had a bad time at Canada Cup at the end. So it's very much a Lapchi thing to do. Yeah, that's a very Lapchi thing, and it's like, well, you know what? Hey, come have a couple beers or whatever, as long as you're legal age and and you know drink off your problems for a little bit. And it's like, hey, there you go. I it, yeah, it's yeah. I would really be sad if if Capcom knocked down uh, Canada Cup for for this stuff. It's Lapchi will fix it, and I have every confidence in that guy to, to get it get it back together uh so you know cross our fingers and kind of hope 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, really quick, the first time I ever met Lapchi, I think it was at, it was at SCR. I did not know who he was. He was there with, oh my gosh, I wish I remembered his name, but a, a buddy, the two Canadian guys. And I was playing in, in one of the suites or something, and the buddy was there, but Lapchi was not. And he goes, hey, do you want a money match, uh, Lapchi? And I was like, who's that? But it sounded like this weird, crazy mob boss or something like that. And I go, uh, sure. And so he, we go to, to Lapchi's room, and it's just the three of us. And it was very mob boss-like. We just go in there, and Lapchi's sitting there playing his Blanca, and, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, would you like a shot of something? Because the alcohol always follows Lapchi no matter where he goes. <laughs> and, and I'm, like, kind of uncomfortable, and I'm wondering, like, uh, I'm about to get hustled or something, but, like, this is not going to go good for me. And he's like, do you want to do a $50 money match? And I go, how about a $20 money match? Because I have no idea what's going on. He's like, okay. And and Lapchi has, if you ever talk to him, he's got this, like, like really quiet, like, but very powerful kind of voice. Where It's a little sly, you know, but Lapchi always knows what's up. And so we're playing, and I'm bodying him because he's not very good. <laughs> and I'm like, where's the twist? And he's like, okay. How about now for 50 after I've taken like $60 of his money? And I'm like, nah, okay. And I'm like, he's going to pull out. He's just going to be like a, he's a shark and he's just, you know, and, and it turned out, no. And I took like $200 from him that night and did a couple of shots. And that was my first initial meeting with Lapchi, learning that he's this, this rich Canadian investor that loves fighting games and, and wants to do shots. And it was like, cool. But I thought I might you know, leave with not all of my fingers that night because it was very ominous and very scary. But that was my first meeting with Lapchi. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've encountered Lapchi so many times at tournaments and whatnot. And like, I, I've never gotten like an ominous like vibe from him at all. And it's, just, <laughs> it's funny how like, you know, the wrong setting, wrong thing. But I've known Lapchi for a long time, you know, since the first Canada Cup. And um, and yeah, it's I always just laugh at him, you know, give him a slap on the back and like hey dude good to see you type stuff but that, that's awesome <laughs> it's straight up like a, I, I thought you were describing like an episode of like you know like um tv shows like sitcom back in the day like you know the classic thing like i'm gonna hustle you like fresh prince of bel-air like had like exactly, a full episode like, yeah, cool. exactly. yeah. I'm like, hey cool. this is exactly it you know but uh but yeah it felt like the room was lit only by candlelight it was very <laughs> dim and it was like a suite but it was only lapchi and this other guy right and i'm like yeah i'm gonna die or i'm yeah. gonna lose a finger or something or all my money it was great <laughs> um, all right, so this is going to be actually a, a rough transition here because we're going to get into uh, infiltration and... Uh, this has been a subject we've been fairly quiet about, and there's good reason why. Uh, we're not going to step into legal waters here in terms of addressing guilt or innocence because we have no idea. We've not seen the documentation here, but there's been a number of things that have kind of come to light that we, we do want to comment on because of kind of stuff surrounding the case, basically the, the residuals of it. And one of the things I want to talk about first off is that Infiltration is very much a pro uh, esports player. This is how he makes his living. And the fact that he's not able to make his living and do what he does, like we kind of feel like the situation is going to have to come to a head at some point. And I don't know how long it's going to take. And we've been seeing with Panda Global, they've been tweeting about basically they're doing their investigation. And we found out through this that Capcom is actually doing their own investigation of what's going on. And that led me to wondering, like, okay, like, how much power does Capcom have here? Like, what can they do? Um, and I was looking through the rule listings here on the Capcom Pro Tour. Should we should we kind of set the stage to for anyone that doesn't know the specifics oh, so of this yeah, case yeah, yeah. it's just essentially that infiltration was uh he got married i think it was in 2017 and um gosh maybe it might have been two months ago now but uh, it was a reddit thread that that brought up um anonymously that infiltration uh had 
there there were allegations of domestic abuse against his wife, and I don't know if they're uh, their status now, if they're divorced or still together or whatnot. But that's the the gist of it. That's what we know is that these allegations were brought up, and since then he hasn't attended any events despite being signed up for them previously, and it's an ongoing. Uh, uh, investigation. The only real updates we've been getting is from his sponsor, Panda Global, and they're essentially just saying the same thing over and over that we're doing everything we can, but there's a lot of translation going on, and um, not only just like with, with the language, but the fact that this is being held in Korea, the culture and the laws are a little bit different than what's going on over here. And then, of course, like the, the you know, maybe tertiary part of this is that infiltration is like 10th on the leaderboards for Capcom Cup. So very much qualified, but he hasn't been going to events. Will he will this be sorted out in time for Capcom Cup and will he be in attendance? That's going to affect things. So that's kind of the backdrop to all of this. And now. Go hand the ball right back off to you. Right. So in the event a player finishes within the top 26 on the global ranking leaderboard and declines his or her invitation to compete, like the spot goes to the next person in line. So if Infiltration is unable to uh, compete at Catcom Cup, which might be the case right now, uh, literally the next person is just going to step up. Um, And now to get into kind of like where Capcom has power here and just kind of reading through the rules overall, like, their lawyers have drawn up a rule set that basically makes them the main decider of, of almost everything that, that goes on with a pro tour. And mm. let's just say that infiltration wants to fight this for whatever reason. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that holds up. Um, the, the legal um, uh, precedent here will be established uh, in the U S it's not going to happen in Korea because by terms of the agreement that they have in there, it's decided in a San Francisco court where Capcom is based. Capcom USA is based. Uh, so anyway, Uh, The rules state Capcom reserves the right in its sole discretion to revise, update, change, modify, add to, supplement, or delete certain terms of the official rules for any reason. Such changes will be effective with or without prior notice. And the reason I bring that up just kind of to put this at the very top is that there aren't specific rules in here of like being accused of a crime or anything like that. Like there's all the guidelines are based as they should be or as you would assume they would be on tournament standards, like where, you know, don't unplug the other player's controller, don't scream at them, you know, don't do this or that. Like it's nothing kind of like outside of the games itself. Um, But with this one statute and here are, you know, a term or requirement or whatever, like Capcom has like overarching power to kind of do whatever they want to do basically. And, and I don't know how well this would hold up in a legal situation. That really is above my head. Uh, I'd have to be a lawyer and probably a pretty damn good one to be able to decipher that. But I will say that there's some kind of – there's a little bit of a comparison that we can bring up here with Ray Rice uh, in the NFL and, like, what they did. And, and I'm again, I'm not proclaiming infiltration that he did it or didn't do it. I have no idea. All I know is that he's been accused of domestic violence. Um, but Ray Rice uh, – at the time, he basically he was in an elevator with his fiance, and he popped her and actually knocked her out. And and uh, uh, this guy's like I think like only about five foot nine, five foot ten, uh, but he's an NFL football player. Uh, I'm six foot two myself, and you know about uh, 170 pounds. Uh, and I'm in, I'm in decent shape. I would not mess with this guy. He's built like a damn you know truck, like most NFL players are. Uh, I'm sure could just mess me up with without blinking an eye, basically. So he was suspended for two games um, by the NFL, but the NFL basically felt like they kind of botched this case. 
uh, all up and down. And there's a bunch of other things that kind of came with this. It was uh, it was on camera, wasn't it? Like yeah, it was they, on the, camera. There was a camera in the elevator. A camera in the elevator that I'm not 100% sure if the NFL had access to it like before or after. They made some statements that they did and then they didn't. And, and yeah. Um, when this went down, there were people in, in the audience um, at, at his games at Ray Rice. I, I forget the team he was playing for at that time, but that had his jersey on. Women and other people that were supporting him. His fiance that became his wife um, came in and said, you know, she supported him after the fact and all that kind of stuff. There was there was a ton of fallout around this. And I, I, I sports is kind of the closest thing that we have to esports right now that we can kind of use this as a comparison. Mm-hmm. And And even then, so the NFL has a players union and, and they fought, you know, to get Ray Rice, like, you know, not as harsh, harsh of a punishment, basically, and to get him back in there. And my point about all this is basically that infiltration makes his living doing this. And at some point, like, what can Capcom do? Like, can they completely ban him from doing this? And if they do that, will he take it up in court and say, look, this is what I do for a living. And you guys can't take this away from me from a, on a permanent basis, especially if X, Y, and Z happened. And... That's kind of the thing here. It's it's like Ray Rice like leveled his fiance and knocked her out cold. He could have killed her. It was it's horrific. I don't recommend watching the video. It's freaking horrific. But you know he went back to the NFL. He got suspended for a couple games and he's back there and he's doing his thing. And it's like okay, that's kind of like the closest like thing that I can think of to this case. Assuming you know domestic violence actually happened here uh and it's like like what happens in that case like what happens there yeah but like with ray rice uh, like you said people were well first of all people were on his side um at least to an extent you said there were people including like the women at the at the games wearing his jersey like still wanted him to play because they saw him more as I guess a product that they were consuming for entertainment, right? They wanted to see this guy play. And he had a daughter and, you know, um, with his wife and he stuck by his wife and all that kind of stuff as well. You know, it's, it's, that's the other part of it is, I mean, that was his fiance. He, he clobbered at the time, but they did later on go on to get married. Mm -hmm. So, so, but, uh, and, and infiltration, like people like this guy, right? I mean, like, and he's a, he's a lovable guy. He's very entertaining to watch when he plays. And, you know, he's famous for the, for the downroad compete after winning Evo. And he's got a lot of charisma. Now that could very much change if the, if this comes out that he's actually guilty and such, but people don't, I mean, he's not a, he's not a villain as far as the FGC goes and people don't want to see this be true. So he's going to have some backing there. But uh, there's a big difference between, uh, you know, the Ray Rice example and the infiltration example in that the NFL was making a lot of money having Ray Rice play. And I don't think Capcom has a similar kind of stake in, in infiltration, you know, like to, to have him in Capcom Cup or not, like maybe a little bit. Maybe it's going to get a few more eyes on, on. But I think that most of the people that are watching Capcom Cup are going to watch it with or without infiltration or most of the people that are going to watch Pro Tour events. So. I feel like in the Ray Rice example, the NFL who, you know, money talks, right? And they have a lot of money like that. They were going to be going to bat for him probably a lot more than than Capcom might for, for infiltration, I would imagine. So, I mean, there's a lot to compare there, but I also kind of like hesitate there because I think that the powers that be might have been rooting for Ray Rice to, to get back as fast as possible. Maybe, I don't know if he was suspended for some time or got a slap on the wrist, but Capcom very well may go about it in a very different manner than the NFL would just because of 
what these players uh, mean to you know the these sports or esports entities. Yeah, it's a, there's no players union obviously for you know fighting game players, and that's a big deal because then you have a whole team of people on your side that's going to fight for you and make sure things, you know equal out more in the legal terms. Uh, but I do wonder, again, that the main crux of this for me is that Infiltration's trained for years to be a fighting game player. And and now you, you're saying like, hey, he can't be a fighting game player anymore because of this potentially, right? Like, does he get a lifetime ban? Does he get a year's ban or whatever? Like, he could potentially have a case if he wanted to go back after Capcom or, you know, Panda Global, if things are not handled in a way that he feels is on the level and, and go after them. And that's where things get a little bit like dicey. And this has happened many times over, you know, uh, human history of, of like someone being, you know, accused of a crime and wanting to get back into that field and feeling like they were mistreated and other things. So, so far, that's not been the case with Infiltration. He's very clearly respected the wishes of, of Panda Global and our Capcom. I'm not sure how involved Capcom has been with this because he was at the Tokyo Game Show ready to compete and someone said, hey, pull the plug, don't compete there. And he respected that. And it seems like he's been respecting this like situation so far. Um, and it's just, it kind of comes down to a point of like, does that change at some point? And I mean, again, I don't want to, I don't want to, again, judge on if he's innocent or guilty but for if I was him and it's like and I love fighting games and clearly he does and I felt like I wasn't that guilty and and someone said hey you've got a lifetime ban you're not allowed to play anymore like I'm going to go back after those guys and say look I am I've trained to be this for the last like five years you're not going to take this away from me I have the right to compete in here and especially if I felt like it was unjust you know and Mm -hmm. so this situation could get very messy. This situation could blow up into like kind of a big thing. Uh, it's kind of, it's been quiet. People are keeping on the down low right now and there's a lot to kind of play out, but it's going to be interesting to see like what happens here as it's going forward. Um, I'll also say that the situation itself is clearly not a cut and dry scenario in terms of the statements that Panda Global has made because um, they initially expected to kind of have like a ruling or some kind of idea of what was going on much sooner than they have. And the yeah, fact they were that like, we'll, we'll know next week and we'll let you guys know. And it's like <laughs> that, that very much did not come to fruition yeah. like they expected. Yeah, I think that was a month ago or a month and a half ago or something like that when they made that statement. Uh, and it's that that to me tells me the situation is, is not cut and dry. It's fairly messy. Uh, uh, we've talked before that they they've got you know one a language barrier which is I'm sure significant um, you know from Korean to to English that they have to to cut through plus a whole separate legal system that that I mean I've read some stuff about the Korean legal system and it's it's different it's not the same as it is here it's it's not like Japan where you know it's like the Phoenix Wright type stuff where it's hmm. it's very you know like night and day different um, I think that South Korea has a number of similarities here to the the U.S. legal system but it's still it's still different and there's still a lot to cut through and I mean even the American and U.S. legal system, like, we have a difficult time deciphering that. It's why we pay lawyers so much money and, and why they're so worthwhile. Uh, it's it's difficult and murky even when we don't have these additional barriers of language and other stuff going on. And it's like, wow, this is complicated. And, well, and, and I also hear here. that the, with the, the, the Korean culture, they don't view domestic violence in the same way that like we do here in the West. And I don't know that's for sure, but like, uh, that could very well be a thing. You I, know, I, yeah, when this was going on, I actually did multiple um, uh, good amount of research just trying to see if that was the case because I'd heard those claims mm-hmm. before. And it actually, from everything I could tell, is. Uh, this came from South Korean newspapers, journalists, and they talked about their domestic violence situations and how... 
they legally like to stay fairly hands off with it and kind of consider that a problem among the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how all this stuff works. It's it's really getting in over my head to go much beyond that, beyond saying that they're, the way they treat domestic violence there is definitely different than how they treat it here in the U.S. I can say that for sure. Say that, uh, you know, infiltration is found guilty in a Korean court and his sentence is 10 hours of community service because of the way they, they treat this kind of a thing. Then he comes over to the U.S. It's like, I guess with what you said earlier with Capcom's clause, they can still go, yeah, well, that doesn't fly here and we know what you did. And so we can just say no based on that. But I mean, that that does get into some dicey waters. And like you said, if Infiltration's doing this for a living, and he is, and he's like, well, I've missed out on, on you know this many events already, and I, there's a very good chance that I could have won or, I mean, made money off of those events. Yeah. And then you kick me out of Capcom Cup, and I missed my shot at $250,000, and I'm very much, you know, one of the favorites to be in top eight, if not win the whole thing. It's like, you start to get some fodder there to, uh, to fight back with. And so... Yeah, ugh, a very, very chaotic and sticky situation. And, you know, another thing we should we should probably bring up is it's we've, we've talked about how long it's taken this to, to continue to develop. And, and yet, sir, we still sit here without much information um, after the day one, you know, allegations and such. Another strategy that people do in, in these legal situations is to just kind of like run the clock and let people's mm-hmm. emotions die down. The day that this kind of came out, you saw people going to bat for infiltration. You also saw people going, you know, lock them up. This is a terrible person. And and a lot of that was all just based on emotional reactions because no one has the full story yet. No one knows except for the two people involved. It's everyone's doing pretty much baseless speculation here, except for the people now that I think at Panda Global and Capcom who have gotten their hands, I would assume, on some of the the documents from the courts and all that. Uh, But pretty much everyone else is clueless. So. Right. So they, it also might be, you know, in, in the best interest of those that are, I guess, in infiltration and in his defense for people's emotions to die down before this gets brought up again, at least into the public light. And so that could also very well be a factor in into why this is taking as long as it is. Um, but I, I absolutely don't doubt that there's it's also kind of um, a slowed process because of all of the, uh, the, the you know, the lost in translation issues that you're going to have there. Uh, but uh, it's. You hate to see this kind of thing happen, um, especially to to or involving, I should say, a player that has been so charismatic and has contributed so much. It's like best case scenario is that it was a misunderstanding and he's not the you know, this person that, that does these kind of horrible things. But I mean, we've at the very least, we've missed out on him being at a handful of events and getting to watch him play and, and he'll forever have this kind of little bit of an asterisk next to his name. So it's like you hate to see this kind of thing go down. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. And we'll conclude here with that infiltration has, uh, Pentagon said that infiltration will remain inactive for uh, competition until this is completed. And that's a pretty strong statement saying like, hey, he's he's agreed to be off the table. And I think, this is my own personal speculation here, I think that's the case for now. And I, I do think if this goes on for another year uh, or more, uh, I think you might see him fighting back a little bit because I clearly the guy has got a lot of talent for fighting games uh, and playing games in general. He's, as you mentioned, has got a personality for it. Like, he can make a lot of money doing this. And it's pretty hard to say, hey, you know what, you're not allowed to do that, um, especially if, you know, there's no um, legal repercussions for him long term. Let's say he's completely innocent and they just decide, hey, we don't want this, you know, reputation uh, in our fighting game community anymore, like go away type stuff. Like it's 
I think it's going to be very hard to keep him out of the, the community at that point. And it's it's just there's so many ways this thing can break. It's so damn messy, like all the ways like and we just we really have to wait for more clear answers. Um, but yeah, it's well, it's, it's very we interesting. Will, yeah, absolutely. We will have to get an answer fairly soon here in terms of, well, Capcom Cup's six weeks away. Um and Capcom's going to have to start flying players out and deciding who's going to be in and who's out. And, you know, there's a certain, uh, you know, obviously it's not as, as big of a priority as figuring out and, and having the legal proceedings go through and such. But we also have an entertainment um, based, you know, entity uh, to run here in Capcom Cup and the Pro Tour. And this is very, very directly affecting that. Capcom's going to have to come out with some kind of a decision if the legal proceedings don't finish up. They're going to have to say one way or another if this guy's invited to come and be part of this or if the next person down the chain is going to be the one that's invited. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I guess I, I'm not surprised that we haven't heard anything from Capcom. The only reason that we know that they've had any kind of investigation of their own is because Panda Global mentioned them in their statement. Yep. But, you know, considering all the, the, that hinges on, you know, that Capcom has made this pro tour and it has so many people watching as as the audience members and as spectators and as well as all the people that are competing and, and that are affected by this situation, I would have hoped for at least some kind of, a, of an acknowledgement by them. By no means a, a statement of like, we think he's guilty or we think he's innocent or he will or will not be there, but just simply like, you know, we're looking into it because it's relevant. I, I would have hoped that would have happened. Now I get that, well, maybe not because this is illegal and a business thing and, and the less is very much more. And until their hand is forcibly moved, they they you know needn't say anything but i would have hoped for some kind of acknowledgement just based on the the community relationship with capcom but it is what it is so getting on to a more happy subject at least uh i i would consider it more happy <laughs> we wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the meta of Street Fighter Five because we had a, a few people write in and basically ask us about how to deal like with jump to dash mixups like and that's again getting about mid screen um, and I'll just use Nikali as an example because he has one of the best uh, jump to dash mixups in the game. V trigger Nikali. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And basically he gets there and you either have to watch for him, you know, jumping or dashing. And even Justin Wong, who has some of the best defensive reactions in the game, is like, look, like you're not going to be able to react to both. So. Instead of, you know, having, you know, people throw up their hands and say it's hopeless, like, what do I do here? Like, what things, as a, a player, like, for you, like, what things do you look for to kind of carve someone into, like, a specific path and, like, so you can react to that and kind of deal with that mix-up on a base level? So, obviously, that's a tactic that I implement. And I remember talking to Filipino Champ at SCR last year. I'm like, hey, I have to fight Commander Jesse. What do I do in, uh, against Dalson with Nikali? And he goes, well, what you do is you get into dash range and you put him in the mix-up. He doesn't know if you're going to dash or you're going to jump. And if you jump forward or you dash and he's ready for it, he's ready for it. But the time that he's not, you get in and you Street Fighter five him and he's done. And that's just basically like this risk-reward that you just keep hammering at because it's in your favor and you're more or less going to eventually win that was dalsam um, but it kind of applies across the board especially when there was a little bit of an input delay because obviously if your reactions are hindered then that's going to to um, work in the favor of the aggressor but um, and, and so I've used that. That's been a piece of advice, and it's not only Nikali. He's a great example because, especially in V Trigger, his forward dash is so good, and he's got one of the best jump forward um, heavy punch. So one of the best jump ins in the game. Um, but I also enjoy playing against Nikali and the Nikali mirror in those situations. Um, that's one of my favorite 
places to be. And I very rarely get to do that because I very rarely run into Nikali's online, but I'll play with like up to snuff and we'll do some mirror matches and whatnot. And what it comes down to is, uh, well, first of all, you are able to react a little bit better now. So that's going to work in your favor uh, when you're facing this kind of opposition. But for me personally, uh, I will, um, the lot of Street Fighter V is reading what your opponent wants to do. Duh. And that's going to apply to any fighting game ever. Um, and, and so you can kind of get a read and, and be ready, like know the, take note of the places where your opponent will dash forward and, uh, or where the things, they will jump from. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. I'd like to do is distill down like, you know, a sentence to like kind of a, um, a one word or a couple word statement to help it kind of like implement in my mind and make it easy. And, and one of the things I've heard people say over and over again is rhythm rhythm or timing like exactly what john is saying here is perfect like you want to try to basically pick up on when the opponent is is looking to attack the what what is a rhythm what is their timing Mm -hmm. and that's true like i said across fighting games in general but it's it's super true in street fighter 5 you if you don't have your opponent's rhythm so much of this game does come down to little binary interactions where it's like well, they're either going to wake up DP or they're not, or they're either going to tech the throw or they're going to block. And and you don't you know see those things happen, but you commit to, and that's, that's the whole commitment thing. It's like, well, if you're playing commitment-based, that means you're choosing an option, they're choosing an option, and you're hoping or you're predicting that your option is going to be the one that beats theirs. Understanding your opponent's rhythm is everything in that kind of a scenario, and this is very much that scenario. So, um, but But you can also position yourself to be... Um, you know, to, to, to be at advantage in this, in these kind of, um, interactions more often than not. I think one of the things that you said was to space yourself just outside of the dash range. Right. So like, yes, that's one of the first things is, well, don't be there, yeah. you know, don't let Nikali be there as much as you can. And then, and, and that's going to mean, you know, backing up a little bit and, but you have to remember that people aren't, aren't perfect. They're not robots. They're not going to to do things perfectly and react to what you're doing and just a little bit of a movement is probably at least the first time or two or six or ten <laughs> going to be enough to send them off of their rhythm or, or they're just going to continue to do their rhythm but it won't be appropriate because you've repositioned yourself so you take that half step back sure they do their dash forward but they haven't reached you and Nikali doesn't have great reach on his normals so now maybe that just put him in the terrible spot to be because now your move reaches him but he still is out of range to you um, another thing is to just kind of stick out quick normals that would stuff the dash because um, as far as it is, that's that much time and that much distance where he doesn't have the ability to block. Same thing of being in the air. But if you're feeling like, hey, it's coming, and like we've said before, if you're facing a V-triggered, powered-up Nikali, it's not if, it's when that dash is coming forward. Yeah, well, you know, try to feel the rhythm. Um, and if you have it right, well, then he's going to walk right or he's going to dash right into one of your normals. But if not, you know, you can just kind of keep them at bay. And uh, and then also, oh, go ahead. No, one of the things I want to stress with, with people is that we're talking about the scenario and a lot of people are thinking, okay, well, I can't react to that consistently. And that's right. Like, even again, I, I want to state this from the beginning, but, but Justin Wong, it, it, some of the best defensive reactions you're going to find around, you can't consistently react to this stuff. It's actually impossible. Your mind cannot juggle that much stuff in this game. Right. And this game will overwhelm you. Do not try to consistently react to this stuff. You are predicting when your opponent is going to kind of approach and that's how come we talk about rhythm that's how come we talk about knowing your opponent's timing it's i 
I'm pretty sure he's going to do something. So I'm going to kind of preemptively stick something out to catch him. And, and that is where you start, you know, blowing up the other player and, and making them fearful of actually approaching you. And when they hesitate, then you have some opening to, to blow them up again. And, standing at the proper distance distance from where Nikali is going to dash at you, that gives you a little bit more time to react, a little bit more time to set up your good moves and avoid his strong abilities, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can react if you devote all of your attention to that, but then that opens up the jump, and yes. that's even scarier than the dash. And so yes. that's why the jump-dash mix-up, it's because it keeps you from devoting all of your attention to one or the other. Now, you can do that if you think he's going to be committed to that dash, but be careful. Um, but who was it? Uh, what's the Mike Tyson quote? Everybody has a plan until they get punched. Yeah. Until they get punched. Right. And so the minute you throw someone off of their rhythm, uh, that's huge. And reactions are, are very much in your favor and out of theirs. Once you do that, you hit them all of a sudden, if they're, if they're paying attention, which that's not always the case, but if they're paying attention, um, then they go, Oh crap, I can't use this tool. Like I wanted to now. And they're off tilt. They have to now reconvene, get a new game plan, make some kind of adjustment, or they don't make an adjustment at all. And you just keep doing it until they're dead. Mm -hmm. Um, but a big part of it is remembering that your opponent is not a genius robot. Uh, that can just you know is going to pick the right thing every time they are also committing to something as they're approaching you and so positioning yourself um, both physically and with your rhythm uh, to counter them will will work wonders and it's more than just getting that one successful hit that also echoes into the next interaction for the rest of the match because you're putting them off of their initial game plan and uh, and when when you've just got hit your plan kind of just goes to crap and you have to um, fix everything on the fly. Hey, that sounds like a really good opportunity for you to take advantage and you to go on offense and not even let him get back into that situation where the the dash jump mix up is a threat. It, it, I know this sounds weird, you know, preemptive footsies, preemptive buttons, and all that, and you know, rhythm and all that. We're we're used more to reactions in the fighting game community uh, with most of the games, right? Uh, not all of them, but there's plenty of them where you're doing preemptive attacks on a number of occasions. Uh, and and the classic saying is like. Even if your reactions are great, you're reacting to something. And you'll see people from full screen sometimes like, you know, do a fake fireball and like tap jab and hope, you know, you do an ultra or do something like that to try to catch it because you're reacting to something. Uh, once you get a feel for this in Street Fighter V, like it becomes more like a traditional Street Fighter game. It's not exactly all the way, you know, but you start seeing the the crazy starts to get a little bit more normalized and you start seeing, oh, that's what you know, that's what players are picking up on. And you'll see it a lot in tournament, like the highest of level of players, you'll see them start to get a read on each other. And and all of a sudden, like, you know, like, oh, crap, like, you know, uh, Tokido, uh, he just got like a complete read on Infiltration's, you know, uh, timing and his rhythm. And wow, he's just blowing him up and he just like three owed him and, and, you know, kicked him out of the tournament type thing. You will see that. And, 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 and once you start to unpack it and you start seeing that the game is less stupid and random than you might have thought it was. And you start seeing the detail of the play and it's very rewarding still. It's very fun to to read someone's rhythm and just blow them up for it. Like basically no matter what they do, you know, their timing. And it's like, guess what? You can do one of 50 billion options. They're all not going to work for you because I know what your timing is now. I know exactly what you're going to do. And they're none of it is going to work because I have all the answers. I just need to read your timing and blow you up for it. And it, it's very rewarding when you have that happen. 
Exactly. And that's that's where a lot of the fun and the mental back and forth comes in, specifically when you're talking about Street Fighter V. And we've actually talked about the the next step in the process. If you're the person that, okay, so I just gave this information to you on this is how you stop Nikali's um, approach, right? Or anyone that's using this type of approach of dash or jump. I'm now feeling completely shut down because every time I jump forward, you're ready with your anti-air. And every time I try to dash forward, you're shutting me down. And I now feel hopeless or helpless. What's my what's my adjustment? I do that little like teabag to send my timing off to change my rhythm, right? Just a single tap down or a single back tap before I do my forward dash because my rhythm is still there. I still want to do the same thing. But if I throw it off just that little bit, maybe now you're ready for it because you're locked onto my rhythm. I change it up with that single little little nudge and then I'm in at a time where you've stuck your move out and now I'm, I'm following it in and, and you're in recovery and I'm right up in your face. And Right, and our listeners might be like going like, okay, you just teabagged in the middle of a match. Like that doesn't happen in tournament. You know, people aren't doing that. But if you watch someone like Punk, you will see the fear he instills in someone and you will watch him, you know, shimmy back and forth about like five times. And it's like any random player can blow him up for that. Like, but he is so good at what he does. He instills a sense of fear in you to do pretty much anything at all. And all he's doing is adding those staggers in. Like, you know, it's it doesn't make sense to shimmy back and forth for five seconds straight, right? But if you're a punk and you, you know how to condition people and you add those staggers in at that level, that's a an actual example of a stagger in a tournament when someone shimmies back and forth like more than any human being like would reasonably do that and it's just like punk senses hey my opponent's got to read on my timing they know what i'm gonna do so i'm gonna like counterbalance that by just doing some kind of bonkers stuff that like my goodness who shimmies back and forth five times in a row who does that like it <laughs> makes it- you whiff three grabs <laughs> and look like a total idiot and then blows you up on the last one yes yeah, yeah. And, and so you will see if you, you pay attention in tournament like you want to see it at a high level like that's a place to look for and that's where it comes in at well said all right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week. We uh, we ran a little long here on the pod, but uh, we're happy you guys tuned in for the whole thing. And we will be announcing the winner of the joystick contest here in the next couple days. We're going to be contacting them, verifying all the information we need to do from a legal standpoint. And then uh, we'll be announcing them uh, in the next pod and on the next podcast post. So please look forward to that. If you enter the contest, one, thank you so much for doing it. It helps us out a tremendous amount. Even if you didn't win, like know that you're helping us out, like what we're trying to do. Uh, and if you did, when please uh, uh thank you uh, i should say <laughs> for entering and congratulations on it and thanks everybody for your continued support and all them five star reviews and not anything less than five stars get out of here with that <laughs> all right guys we'll see you soon